Yes. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, please. Hebrews 13 in the Old in the New Testament. Just go to Revelation and come back a few chapters. You'll find Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews, one of the great chapters in the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you the question today. Is your all on the altar? Is your all on the altar? Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Let's begin in verse 8, chapter 13. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? And if you're not, just follow along with us as I read. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And out beside of that, we can say amen and amen. amen. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. Boy, there's a bunch of those going around today. Amen. For it is a good thing that the heart be established. Uncircle the word heart. That the heart be established with grace. Circle the word grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Verse 10, we have an altar. That's our text today. That's our message. We have an altar. Whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Judaism is over as far as the rituals are concerned. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, no longer did they need the tabernacle. It's been fulfilled in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the bodies of those beasts which blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus, and this is the whole subject of Hebrews, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood and suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing the reproach. For there, for here have we no continuing city, but we look for one to come. By him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. Verse 8 again, verse 10, we have an altar. We have an altar. God, help us today as we preach. Thank you for the good singing. Thank you for those who live the life and walk with God. I pray, Lord, you'll bless each of us today. Bless our teachers around the buildings. Bless us all in the name of the Lord Jesus that we'll glorify you. Father, we ask you to enable us by grace divine to touch our body. And we'll be able to say that which needs to be said this morning. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for it. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Keep your Bible open if you would. We're going to be turning to several passages of Scripture. You may be seated. People of every culture that we have in the world have erected altars. Four basic large populace of religion, Christianity, Islam, Buddha, and Hinduism. And then you put all the other cults and religions beneath that, and some in the isolated place of the world, just about everybody has some kind of altar physically. But I'm not talking about a physical altar. An altar can be anywhere you're at. It's in your heart now because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to erect an altar and make that a spiritual place. The heart is where I talk to the Lord Jesus and connect with God through my prayers. Amen. Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary over 2,000 years ago, and he presented his body a living sacrifice, but he died on the cross. He tells us to be a living sacrifice. We don't have to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus did that many years ago on the cross of Calvary. He took my place on the cross. He took your place on the cross. 
No longer do you need the Old Testament Judaism practice and ritual. God loves the Jews. God loves Israel. God loves uh, those that He's ordained in the book of Genesis uh, to bear the seed of Jesus when He comes. He loves the nation of Israel. But we don't have to have that kind of uh, ritual going forth with the priest coming down the, in the Holy of Holies and presenting the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Jesus Christ fulfilled all that. The middle wall has been broken down. The veil of petitions called was ripped from top to bottom. When Jesus Christ gave himself on the altar, the cross was his altar. And on the cross, Jesus died. On the cross, Jesus gave up the ghost and cried, it's finished. When he said it's finished, the Old Testament law now has been finished in Jesus Christ. He has come to fulfill all the prophecy, all of the typology, all of the illustrations of the Old Testament have now come to be fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross and cried, It's finished. I've come to do the will of my Father. I've come to set men free. I've come to give them redemption, to buy them back from the slave market of sin. I've come to fulfill the will of God, and that was to pay the sin debt for every man, every woman, every girl. Some people have an external altar. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to bow the bench or bow around uh, these steps. But it don't have to be a place all the time to be uh, that's spiritual. It could be anywhere. You can be standing up. Several years ago, I've told this story before, and many of you realize uh, and heard it before. But well, it's been several years ago. After a missions conference in November, oh, I forget how many years it's been now, it was cold outside. I had my top coat on, and so when I drove home, I kept my top coat on. It wasn't too far, maybe nine or ten miles to be home. And I came to the stop sign there on Carriker Farm Roads and crosses Deal Road. And I sat there for just a minute. Then I just pulled out in the highway. And somebody came with a truck and hit me right on the side, flipped me over. I was over there in the pasture field, and I couldn't get out. And I was laying like this, looking through the sunglass above me. I was laying there. And when I was turning, I thought I was watching a movie. I, I wasn't upset. It just seemed like it wasn't real. And so when I finally come to my senses and I was laying like this, and I reached for my seatbelt and it was stuck and I couldn't get it out, here I am laying there. I said, Lord, I'm in a mess. I don't know what to do. And here come that voice from what they call it, North, North Star, said, Onstar. what is it? On Star. They said, are you all right? And I, I thought it was an angel talking to me. Are you all right? And I said, yes. And then she gave some of the most wonderful words that's ever been echoed to my ear when I realized I was trapped in that car. It's going to be a while before I get out of there. She said, everything is going to be all right. We're on the way. Boy, I'm glad the Lord Jesus come down. I'm glad he knew what needed to be done on that day of salvation for all of us. And he come down from heaven to take on the earthly body to go to the cross and die. Everything's all right when you trust Jesus Christ. But I wasn't never upset. I never was emotional about it. If I do it, every time I go by, though, though I wonder, well, it will happen again, you know. I think about it. But I never was upset. I never got cried, never screamed, I never done any of that at all. But we have what we call 9-11 emergency calls. Most praying sometimes comes down to just emergency calls in the time of emergency. You know, it's like a spare tire. A spare tire is there for emergencies. And so it is with Christian living. Sometimes we live our life and then we cry out to God in times of emergency. And that's all right. Nothing wrong with that at all. 
Sometimes God has to send tragedy and heartaches to get our attention and wake us up. And during those times, we cry out to God. It's good to cry out to God all the time and have an altar of sweet communion with the Lord every day of your life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word of God is our spiritual bread. Jesus Christ just said, I am the water of life. Every man that drinketh of me will not thirst again. He satisfies the longing and the hurt of our life. But it comes through that communion with Jesus Christ through day-by-day -day prayer and Bible study and reading the Bible and getting closer to God. But many of our prayers are just emergency prayers. We cry out. I was thinking yesterday about a man in our church many years ago. If I called his name, some would know him, but that's immaterial. He was a good friend, but he had a tragic accident. And uh, he was laid up for a long time in the hospital and then went home. He said, Pastor, when I get out of here, I'll be in church. I promise you, God's got my attention. And I said, praise the Lord. And he came to church. He said on the back, during the invitation, he walked down the aisle and knelt for prayer. And I was so excited as the last time I saw him come to church. Didn't last very long. The emotions run off. And maybe God did something in his life. I can't judge that. That's between man and God. But he said, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be faithful to church. I'll love the Lord. I want to serve him. But he never did get in the groove of doing that again in his life. But he almost died prematurely uh, in that accident he had. And how sad it is sometimes we cry out to God when, oh my, I got this, I got that. And every time we go to the doctor, we have some new disease that sort of comes to our body or we think it's coming to our body. And sometimes when they say the word like, you've got cancer, boy, that's frightening. And there's nothing wrong with crying out to God in behalf of that. Nothing at all. But it's good to be able to talk to God every day. When the emergency is not there, when everything's going good, when you've got a job and money in the bank and the kids are doing doing well and nobody's sick, everything's going along pretty good, just realize that down the road God brings things to happen in our lives to get our attention. Somebody said, that's not fair. Listen, God loves you so much that he bankrupted heaven and gave his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary for you and me. Don't you think sometimes he may allow things to come to our life to break us, to mold us, to help us to realize that we need to get closer to God and have that altar. We have an altar today. We have an altar. I can have that altar when I'm driving. I can have that altar when I'm sitting still. I can have that altar when I'm walking. I can have that altar when I'm sitting at the desk. I can have that altar all the time because he said it's in your heart. By grace, it's in your heart. We have an altar with God. I can commune with the Heavenly Father. And an altar is a place where you can connect with God regularly. And may God help us to do just that. Prayer doesn't need to be like a spare tire. It needs to be one that we commune with God regularly. Where's your altar at? It's in your heart. You got that? And then outside of that word uh, heart, put the word surrender. Have I surrendered my all to God? Have I laid it on the altar? Sometimes we sort of play games with God. We try to manipulate God. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. I want to remind you, God's already done the greatest thing in the world. God gave His Son. Somebody has a son that dies, and they say to me, and they said to you probably, where was God when my son died? And the answer is the same place God was when His son died. He was on the throne of heaven. He, even Jesus Christ died on the cross, and God the Father turned His back on His own Son. That's what the Bible said. He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that point in time, Jesus took all the sins of the world that He had drank in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup of iniquity. That means that He became sin for us. 
He took all the sins of all the world from the beginning of time to the end of time that he knew would be in people's lives. And he said, I willingly drink this cup, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus Christ drunk the cup of iniquity into his own body. God said, I love the world. And on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus cried in the hour of, hour of darkness, God the Father turned his back on his own son because God cannot look upon iniquity with pleasure. Until that was satisfied, until he cried his finish, God could not look because he did not call him Father on the cross. And you, you've read that, I'm sure, many times in your Bible. He never called him Father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not my Father, my Father. The only time in history of the 33 years of living that Jesus Christ called him God was then. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was taking my place. He was taking your place. He was dying in your stead. It's called substitutionary death. He took your place on the cross. He took my place on the cross. I should have died for my own sins. I should die for my own sin. Just put it right down where we know we understand it. I should go to hell because of my sins. Because I'm a sinner. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The Bible says every man's name that's not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. I'm submitting to you today that Jesus took my penalty. He took my sin. He took my debt. He took everything that I owed and nailed it to the cross of Calvary. And because of that wonderful transaction over 2,000 years ago when Jesus came down from the cross and they buried his body in an empty tomb, three days later up from the grave he arose. Victor or the great domain. Amen. Jesus Christ is alive forevermore and forevermore and forevermore. Jesus is alive there to reach down for us and to help save us keep us out of hell and take us to heaven. How sad it is that so often we get wrapped up in our own world, we forget the most important thing in the world and that's to live for Jesus Christ. Amen. And so it is we have our own altar, the significance of the altar building. Let's read some scriptures. Turn with me please to the book of Genesis. I'm so amazed sometimes years ago they had a t-shirt that said, no fear, no fear. You may have wore one of those. I'm not sure altogether what they meant by it. But the Bible says there's no fear of man, but no fear of God before men's eyes in Romans 3.18. And how sad that is that men reject God and live their own life and live like they want to. Genesis 8.20. First book of the Bible. And Noah built an altar. Before the flood, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And now the flood is over. 150 days being on that ark. God opened the door and had him come out. And finally they landed on Mount Harriet and they made that great transaction out of the ark into the world again. Every living thing on the earth died in the antediluvian flood. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord before the throne, before the flood. Shem, Ham, and Japheth were his three sons. He had three daughter-in-laws and his wife. Only eight people were saved in the whole world. There have been people who have screamed and cried when the door was shut, when the rain started, and when the waters began to move upward from the earth as well as down from the clouds above. Never had rain before like that. Never had rain before on the earth. It always just was a dew on the earth to, to water things. But here was a flood. They said, oh, Noah was crazy. Foolish Noah out here preaching about a judgment day coming. They laughed at him and they mocked him. But Noah kept right to the task. He built that ark. Thirty sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
And they built that ark and God let them all in at the right time. You've heard it said many times. I've said it many times. When they got through, he said, Noah, get your family in the ark. You got, you got two of every animal, seven of every clean animal. For the reason that God knew he would be offering sacrifices after that great event. Noah got his wife and said, honey, didn't have last names back in those days, but Mrs. Noah, up the game plank. Mrs. Noah said, yes, Noah. She went in. Shem, Ham, Jephthah, get your wives. Go up the game plank. They went in the door, and the door was in the side of that ark. Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives went in. All the animals were transported into the ark. And when God said to Noah, Noah, come in. Come on in the ark. When everything was done appropriately and rightly in the eyes of God, God told Noah to get inside the ark. And then seven days later, God shut the door. Why did he wait seven days? Anybody outside the ark could have gotten right with God and went inside the ark. All they had to do was believe the preacher's sermon. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't want to hear that. We want to how to feel good. We want to be some words tickle our ears and make us sort of, you know, think everything's fun, fun, fun. Christian living is not fun, fun, fun. It's joy, joy, joy. There's a big difference between the two. And the joy of the Lord is our strength, and it may lead you to a martyr's death. Who wants to be a Christian if you're going to die for Christ? You say, well, that don't make sense. Whether you understand or not, the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the only way we're going to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. We may have to suffer somewhat in this world. Sometimes our sufferings are large. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes things come because just the way humans are and the way society is and sin is taking its toll on our bodies because of Adam and Eve's transgression in the Garden of Eden. And sometimes we have aches and pains and things all because of the curse that was placed upon mankind. You know, what would we, what would we be if, we, if Adam hadn't sinned? We'd live in a perfect paradise. But in the plan of God, he knew that Adam would sin because he gave him a free will to choose. And Adam chose to rebel against the greatest God in the world, the only God in the world, and rebelled against him, committed high treason, and disobeyed God. And God said, by one man sin into the world, that was Adam. And by the second Adam came and brought a victory to the sin, brought a way to overcome sin, how to be victorious and how to be saved from our sins. But Moses, or Noah rather, was praying after he got outside the ark. I wonder what he thought. I mean, all those days on that ark, that boat going up and down and around and about and everywhere, everything was secure inside because they built it with security. One little light at the top of the, the ark, one little place, and here's Noah coming out. He said he built an altar. When you get right with God and you come through some victorious valley, be sure to thank God. I don't know what Moses said, but I'm sure he thanked God for protection and provision in those many days in the ark. I'm sure he was ecstatic when he opened the door. God opened the door and he was able to walk out and see what was there. I'm not sure how it hit him. I'm not sure what he did after that altogether. But the Bible says he built an altar unto the Lord. And if your Bible is like my Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah God. That's the great I am. That's the one who says, I am the great I am. In the Bible, you'll find the Lord spelt several ways, or at least in different captions. 
you got A-O, little O, little R, little D in many places. But this is L-O-R-D, capitalized. So he took of every clean beast, those seven that he took in, of every kind of clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. How do you know to do that? Because it goes back to the Garden of Eden when God told Adam, or told the boys to bring forth an altar after Adam and Eve died to, to come worship me. And they killed a lamb, Abel did, and came and brought the fruits of his labor. And they came and offered a sacrifice to God. God ordained it. And that's the way it was because without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission of sins. So God in His divine plan chose His Son to take, take it, go to the cross and pay the price for us and let the blood be shed for us so we could go free, so we could be victorious, so we could go to heaven when this life is over. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a perfect man. He made some mistake after he came out of the ark. But he was a man that's recorded to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. And by faith, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord for the saving of his family. It doesn't matter how many folks you have. Somebody says, he didn't have a very big attendance in church. He only had eight and count himself. You don't base it on the attendance. Everybody's precious. If one soul is saved, it's worth the whole entire world. And one soul is more precious than the entire world. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7 through 8. And the Lord, there it is again, appeared unto Abram, and unto thy seed, and I will give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital D, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Abraham was a builder of altars. It reminds you when you read the story of Lot, who went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and went separated from his uncle Abraham. You never read where Lot made altars. He pitched his tent toward Sodom, heard the, heard the cries and the screaming and the enjoying times they had, the party time. He saw the lights of Sodom. He said, I'll take mine down this way when they separated because the herds began to be so big that the, the herdsmen were arguing among themselves. And Abraham stood there and said, you choose where you want to go. And the Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Not one day, not one hour does the Bible ever say that Lot prayed about it. Didn't say he built an altar, but everything that occurred to Abraham, and he built an altar, and he built an altar. The classic story, of course, was when he went to the Mount of Moriah, I preached on the other night, in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 18. Then Abraham moved his tent and came to a dwelling in the plains of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there built an altar unto the Lord. In chapter 22, and it came to pass, the place which God had told him of, that Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. He sought for direction. He too was not a perfect man. He made his mistakes. We all make them. But his tenor of his life was one of being faithful. If you want to know two words for Abraham, he was the friend of God and he was faithful. The Bible tells both of those. Abraham was faithful to his God. And from his loins came Isaac and Jacob and all the 12 tribes and all of the Israels we talk about today all came and God said, I'm going to give you, the, give you the land from this point to this point. Every place that he pointed out belongs to Israel today. And some of that's in, in the hands of the Muslims or the Arabs, but that land belongs to Israel. And Israel's got a piece about the size of New Jersey, but God promised them far more. And because of that promise, it will be fulfilled in the days to come, when they begin to take the country back rightly that belongs to them. 
God has a chosen people. I can't explain this. I'm not. Somebody asked me the other day, how do you understand it? I just understand that God loves Israel. And he says, if you, if you don't love them, God will bless you. If you bless them, if you curse them, he'll curse you. So I'm on the blessing side. I want to bless Israel and pray for victory in all that they do. I'm sorry folks have to die in war, but folks do on both sides. And when people have battles and problems, people die. We have in World War One, World War Two, uh, the Vietnam crisis and all the wars we've been in previous years, people die. That's sad. It's sad we have it. But that goes back to sin, not only of the Gentiles, but of Israel who have turned their face away from God. And one day they're going to turn back to God. I mentioned the other day about staring at that wall with that little cap on their head and sticking, sticking prayers in the waiting wall. And they pray like this. You know what they're praying for? Even so come Messiah. Waiting on the Messiah to come because they don't believe He's come yet. And He's waiting and praying regularly. They're always looking for the Messiah to come. But thank God He's already come. Amen. And one day the Jewish people's eyes will be open and they shall see Him for who He is and be the only answer they have to face the tribulation period and the wrath of God to come upon this earth. And God's going to judge them through the tribulation period of Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, all the way through chapter 17 or 18. But they were going to one day understand that Abraham built an altar. He got concerned about his nephew Lot down in Sodom because there had been some ill things done to him and battle was raging and taking them out and captive and so forth. Abraham prayed, went down to Sodom, took an army down there and, and, and delivered Lot. Delivered just Lot. Lot was a good man. He was a just man in the wrong place. He lost his kids. He lost his wife because he trifled with God. And I think he lost his family because he didn't have an altar. Didn't have an altar. Somewhere along the way, all of us need to pray and keep praying. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Just keep praying for our families. That's called intercessory prayer. Just keep bombarding heaven. Lord, save me. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. But I'm sure glad that somebody can go with me if I just keep praying and asking God to work in their lives. You never know when people get saved. E.M. Bounds prayed 63 years for somebody to be saved. They were saved after he died. Uh, his son or grandson, I forget which one, E.M. Bounds wrote the book on prayer, asking and receiving. So many times in, in the book it talks about it. But it took a long time for this one child and their family to get saved. And he was already dead. E.M. Uh, uh, e. Bounds was but he prayed for many years for that salvation to come to pass. God works in unusual ways, his wonders to perform, and thank God for that. Genesis 22 9, and he built an altar, he built an altar. Genesis 26, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham. This is talking to Isaac. And thy father, fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged the well. I wanted to build, build uh, uh, altars. Uh, they digged well for water refreshing and having sustain, sustaining grace and power. Exodus 17, 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name of the place Jehovah Nassau, or he's my banner, God's my banner. Turn with me please to Psalms 115 if you would. Psalms 115. All the way through the Bible you find 300 times the word altar is found. Most of it in the Old Testament. In the book of Psalms, chapter 115, the writer of Psalms says, verse 1, Nor unto us, O Lord, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, and for thy mercy, and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. 
and he hath done whatsoever hath pleased. Somebody says God has no right to do that. God can do anything he wants to do because he's God. He never makes a mistake. He never says, uh-oh. He never says, I never thought of that. There's nothing that ever bypasses the mind of God. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold and work of men's hands. That's where most of them are in the religions of the world. You have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, they have, but they see not. They're just idols. They're made out of silver and gold and the works of men's hands. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through the, their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, who was the first high priest in the Old Testament, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. Oh, I'm grateful for that verse. He will bless us. Thank God for that. He will bless the house of Israel. And he will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. I think that includes all of us in this compass of reading the Bible. The Lord shall increase you more and more and your children. You are blessed to the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's close the book of Psalms 115. Praise the Lord. Say it together with me. Praise, praise the Lord. We don't have an idol. We don't have something to bow down to worship to. The altar's in our heart. I can talk to God anywhere, anytime, place I want to. Pray without ceasing throughout the day. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and I'll be through in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 4. Just a few chapters back from where we're at now. In verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus Christ, that passed into the heavens when he went back in the ascension. Remember, he blessed his disciples, gave him the great commission to go into all the world. And Jesus went back to heaven, sat down at the right hand of majesty. The Bible says he passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold our profession. He was telling the Hebrew people, stay with it. It's not time to turn back to Judaism. It's not time to turn back to religion. You need a relationship with God. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with, our, with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That again is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, our wonderful high priest. Then he says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm glad that when I had my accident several years ago and totaled my car, I'm glad I could be able to bow my head in the car and say, thank you, Lord, for helping me. I cried out to God, not in, not in haste, but I just said, Lord, I need help. And it's like the peace settled on my own soul during that time. It may not happen like that again. It's like the peace of God just sort of filled my own heart. And I lay there looking at the ceiling. I still tried to pull my out. I couldn't get out. And the rescue squads come. They tried to pull me through a window, but I was too fat. <laughs> so they took a metal cutter and cut the door off. And then they pulled me out before they did. I was laying like this, and the highway patrolman got down on his knees and looked at me and said, Sir, can I have your license? <laughs> and I said, No, sir, you can't. I can't get to them. But they finally did. And uh, 
never was charged for the accident, even though I ran in front of a man from that stop sign. But I'm glad I can talk to him about tragedies in my life. I'm glad I prayed when we lost a little girl. I prayed, my wife prayed. He was so real to us during the tragedy, during the heartache. Our eyes were filled with tears and our emotions were running, being run to the cleaners. It was a tough time. I remember vividly coming off the mountainside of East Tennessee, coming back to Kannapolis. I don't know if I saw the road. I, can't, I won't go through the whole story. I know it was a legal battle and we're trying to adopt a child. But anyhow, coming down the road, I said, Lord, I don't understand. I finally got home, I hugged my wife. And she said, I don't understand. I don't understand God. I'm glad I don't have to live on explanations. I've got to live on the promises of God. Amen. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you. And God's taken tragedy after tragedy in my own life. And I could stand here and talk about it. And you could too. A death, a tragedy, a fire, whatever it may have been. And that tragedy has sort of quickened your mind. You see, does God, God allows things to happen. He's not a mean God, but He allows things to happen. Some things happen because people are wicked. And God could stop it just like that. He doesn't always stop it. I don't understand that. But that's why i got to trust Him. If I knew all the answers, I'd be God. As a pastor, I hear this all the time. I don't understand God. And I say, I don't either. I don't understand Calvary. I don't understand how great big God could send His only begotten Son to pay a sin debt for me on the cross of Calvary to keep me out of hell. You say, Preacher, I don't believe that message. It doesn't matter what you believe. Unless you believe the truth, the truth will set you free. You don't go to heaven by religion. You go to heaven by relationship with God. You become a child of God. You must be born again, John chapter 3. And Jesus told Nicodemus, Marvel not, I say unto you, Nicodemus. This is a religious man. This was, this was a man of the Judaism. This was a man who probably was very intellectual and probably very positionally well-bred in his city. But he heard about Jesus. And he came by night and said, Good Master, what can I do? How do, how do I get to heaven? How do I get the kingdom of God? And he said, You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't understand that. He said, Unless you've been born of spirit and of water, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus was still wondering. He said, Marvel not, Nicodemus, I say unto you, you must be born again. I believe that night, maybe I'm wrong, but I think I could say it dogmatically. I believe that night Nicodemus trusted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. Amen. How do you know? We find him at the cross. Yeah. Nicodemus was there trying to help on the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Judaism would not do that because they hated Christ. They hated what he stood for because they were looking for a Messiah, somebody to deliver them from Roman tyranny. But Jesus came not to deliver them from Roman tyranny then, but to be the Savior of the world. Lord, Master, Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Messiah. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm grateful for that. Where's your altar at today? Been praying? You say, Preacher, can I pray up here? Sure, bring your body with you. I, I close with this verse. The Apostle Paul said, Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conform this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. When you come to an altar here, you're presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Is your all on the altar? Could be something hindering my prayers, maybe something hindering your prayers. That's the way I need to get things right with God. Stay close to God. We're not perfect. I could ask for a show of hands how many perfect people in this room, and nobody would raise their hand. If they did, they just committed another sin. They lied because they had raised their hand. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Sometimes I make mistakes. Aren't you glad God covers those? Aren't you glad He'll forgive us readily? You get born again, then you have the grace of God to help you live the Christian life. Through your heart and by grace, we serve the Lord. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. May we find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for your kind attention.